Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. The disarray. I choose to see the beauty. Hello and welcome back to the final episode of Still Watching Westworld Season 3. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. This week we are talking about the uh, Season 3 finale of Westworld titled Crisis Theory. If you've been listening to us cover the TV show Mrs. America, that episode will be out on Wednesday. We'll be switching over to Mrs. America, the FX on Hulu series for full time for the rest of that season. So your your feed will no longer be muddled after this. But this, this is our wrap up on Westworld season three. We've got a great interview this week. We've, we we spoke to the lovely uh, Tandy Newton, who of course plays Maeve Malay about, you know, this season and what she hopes for the future for Maeve and all of that. So um, that will be at the end of this episode. But first, Richard and I are going to sort of break down the season and this episode and and how we think uh Westworld did or didn't stick the landing this season and set up possible future seasons of the show. Um really quickly, if you're listening to this episode and you did not stay past the end credits on this finale, you're gonna want to go back and watch those because just like last year, um and I think also in the season premiere this year, there were uh very significant things that happened after the credits rolled on Westworld. So uh you're gonna want to go check like at least those. one full major plot scene (laughs) if not two so yeah you're gonna want to you're gonna want to check those out uh before you hear us talk about them necessarily um all right so let's get into it as a whole richard on the whole how did this season of westworld work for you well, I think it had its ups and its downs. Um, I think a lot of what it was about, um, in terms of, um, you know, kind of deterministic computing models for human behavior, uh, was pretty interesting. Um, I keep referencing the show Devs, uh, which was pretty similar. And if people like that kind of science, um, you know, theorizing, they could go check out Devs. Uh, it is a self-contained miniseries. There will be no more episodes of it. So you can know that when you get to the end, it's the end, uh, which is not the end for Westworld. And I'm very curious about where they go from here. I think this season, hopefully I can view as a bridge season to something that's a little bit, I think, better realized than I think this season ultimately achieved. Um, but, you know, I'm glad that Dolores saw a plastic bag blowing in the wind and decided the world was beautiful. <laughs> There's something that, um, you know, Tandy Newton said in uh, the interview, and I don't want to spoil it, the interview too much, but she was talking about how like Maeve wasn't really activated fully that she starts the season kind of purposeless because she sort of achieved her goal at the end of season two. And she's not really activated until the final episode. And I kind of agree with that. Like it didn't really feel like Maeve was really Maeve until the very end of this episode. And then when she was like, Oh, you know, in those moments at the end when it's just Maeve and Caleb, I was so excited to see a Maeve that I better recognized um, just the way. And, and, and by extension, just because I find Maeve so compelling, like um, I was even more ex- like interested in what Caleb might do next because Maeve was interested in him. Does that make sense? Like by, by yeah. proxy of her attention to him, I was paying more attention to him. So I, I think that Maeve's 
realizations and allegiances do a lot to point the viewer toward what to care about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard with Dolores because she's so kind of monomaniacal about her thing, which I guess we got some kind of nuance about this episode. Um, but yeah, Maeve, I think in a confusing season, in her confusion has been kind of our audience surrogate. Um, and it was really nice to kind of see her return to the Westworld that Maeve that we know um, as a kind of check for us in the audience as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. I want to hit um, a few emails that we have uh, before we get into sort of the, the details of the episode. Um, we got this one email from, um, <clears throat> from, so a big element of this finale is this riot that's happening in downtown LA. Right. And you see a lot of imagery that at least to me is pretty familiar from having watched like some of the things that happened in Ferguson or elsewhere um, over the last few years uh, in terms of protests, like through my phone, <laughs> like through Twitter or, you know, Instagram video or whatever it was. There's just some imagery of like people tossing Molotov cocktails or tear gas canisters stuff like that, that looked very familiar to me. Um, and so I thought this email was interesting. It comes from Chris who writes in uh, the finale from an activist point of view. I'm Chris Chapman, and I'm an activist with the Rise and Resist and Gays Against Guns here in New York City. I've been in the resistance since I've been in the resistance since the 2016 election, but long before that, I've been fighting for reform, whether it be with ACT UP against AIDS uh, or far too many other battles to name. The finale of Westworld sent chills up and down every part of my soul. Truly, to have a world that you know, love, and exist in every day become torn down by your own hands is terrifying. But sometimes that world does indeed need to be reborn. So to watch the chaos that ensued after Rehoboam and Insight's control over humanity was revealed, and to watch Dolores and Maeve struggle while Caleb and Sorak stand by as witnesses, those scenes are going to have my mind churning for a long time to come. Um, as an activist, uh, some see me as a destroyer just like Dolores, that I want to tear this world down and start again, bring justice and equality to all. I found something in my heart tonight that I knew was always there. Dolores' last words brought it all home for me. The years of struggle and frustration against the system of politics and greed that at every term seems determined to end the world when I'm equally determined to save it. It all makes more sense now that I find graceful reason with a character that is an art, uh, that is an artificial intelligence. Um, so as Dolores poignantly said, the memories I held on to until the end weren't the ugly ones. I remember the moments where I saw what they were really capable of moments of kindness here and there. They created us. They knew enough of beauty to teach it to us. Maybe they can find it themselves again. There's ugliness in the world. It's a ray. I choose to see the beauty. And so do I. Uh, so this is, uh, this is, this is Chris's perspective. And, and like, I take your, I take your American beauty, uh, acknowledgement, Richard, but I think it's, I think it's interesting for, someone who has more experience than I do as an activist um, to maybe see this, this view of all, all this violence, all this mayhem uh, from an understandably enraged populace and zero in on, you know, the, the calm and determined and placid artificial intelligence at the center of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think that like, um, I think as as erratic and kind of messy as I found the finale, I think that it did um, at the very least zero in on um, as this email kind of gets at like an important philosophical read of the kind of chaos of humanity right now, you know, um, mm-hmm. in that there is um, at root um, of a struggle, uh, a kind of hope 
an optimism in what people can be and what like people organized in a civilization can be. Um, and I guess if as a kind of statement of future sort of political intent, I'm curious to see uh, where this episode leads us um, with a Westworld season four, whenever that may happen. Yeah. It, it's, it's really interesting to me. The, um, the thing that actually worked the best for me uh, in this episode Two things. One, I had been asking all season for Jeffrey Wright to have something more to do other than sort of, it seems like stumble along behind Dolores on her path. I mean, this is the thing is like Dolores had a real purpose this season. And to a certain degree, Hale had a real purpose this season, eventually a very clear purpose. But Bernard and Maeve, you know, despite being characters we love and are interested in and are, you know, definitely people you want to keep centered on a show like this, I feel like Westworld didn't really know what to do with them this season. So they were a bit like wheel spinning, uh, in some, in some degree, you know, um, until the very end. And so like, I was so grateful. Um, it, it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. I don't feel like it was really seeded that well this season, but they did finally give Jeffrey Wright some actual acting to do, you know what I mean? Which is something I had been begging for um, in his scene against uh, Gina Torres talking about Arnold's son and stuff like that. Um, and it did feel like, I mean, w- we can talk about the post uh, credits ending of, of the episode, but um, it did feel like he finally now at the end is, is filled with some kind of purpose that is centered on himself and not some sort of vague, like, I need to stop her or I need to save uh, humanity for what I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think this season was, um, you know, a necessary transition one. And this was the the remaining host out in the real world. And there would be some adjustment to be done um, on their part um, to figure out where they belonged in um, something that is, or, you know, increasingly unordered, you know, as opposed to their life in the park. Um and so, yeah, it did make some sense that in this episode, at least, like, they guided Bernard slash Arnold toward a certain kind of raison d'etre, you know, um, much in the way that Maeve arrived at, um, and in, in Caleb, you know, even though he's the human in, in the mix. But, um, so I, I, I find it hard to, I guess, fault the series for, like, something that was maybe intentional in that it was about people, these um, beings like fumbling towards meaning. Um, It didn't always make the most satisfying viewing, but I'm glad that at least at the end um, they kind of, you know, rounded things out, I guess. I am curious um, if you think this, you know, so you had said a couple weeks ago, like I bet Dolores dies at the end of the season. And then you were like, and then we heard about the renewal uh, which, uh, Tandy Newton told me, like, she found out sort of along with everyone else. So, like, they didn't know necessarily in advance. Um, so I almost wonder if that, if the post credit stuff, well, it couldn't have been filmed later. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe they filmed it just in case they got a renewal and that's why it's post credits, all the stuff after that or whatever. Because the ending with Maeve and Caleb and this is the new world, you can be whatever the fuck you want. Like, it could have been a series finale yeah, moment, right yeah mm-hmm. and so uh you know according to tandy newton like they weren't sure they were getting a season four renewal so um so this could have been the end of dolores like you could read this as the end of dolores or at least dolores prime but do you do you imagine a world in which westworld goes forward without evan rachel wood 
on the show? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's tricky because this episode really gave her the kind of Jesus dying for our sins kind of thing, you know? Right. Um, uh, you know, her, her, her motivation, it turned out all along was to save humanity, not to end it. Um, and there was a, a necessary amount of sacrifice contained within that mission. Um, yeah. and that now feels very complete. Uh, so I don't know how you kind of are like, well, actually she has something else to do. Um, but you know, um, at least one of the world's major religions is waiting on Jesus's return. So <laughs> I guess, you know, we have that kind we have a return narrative built into our sort of, uh, social, uh, you know, ideology. So, um, why, why should, why can't Westworld do it? Um, I just hope that it's not, it doesn't feel, kind of like the, the the rest of the story continues and also Dolores you know I hope that they find an organic way to include her again if, if they're going to in, include her I mean there's a million ways to bring you know there's yeah. there's all the there's other Dolores pearls out there there's you know there's digital Dolores you know they they found like um they found a bunch of different ways to bring characters back this season. Um, so there's a million different ways she could come back. Um, and it is interesting to me how death does and doesn't work in Westworld and what feels permanent, what doesn't like, let's say Dolores saying goodbye to Teddy in season two. I felt so sure was the end of James Marsden. I felt so sure he wasn't coming back for season three and he didn't come back for season three, but like, could he come back from season four? Absolutely. Charlotte Hale has all those printers working. Like James Marsden could absolutely be back for season four. Anyone could literally anyone could because of the host possibilities. And, and in one storytelling perspective, that's exciting because we could see like all of our, you know, I was joking to a friend last night. I was like, what if it's all, Logan's on the printers. What if it's all Ben Barnes and we just get like an army of Ben Barnes? That would be okay. So yeah. Um, uh, no, I mean, so, you know, yeah. our, we haven't, we haven't signed our writing contracts yet, Joanna, for season four. So let's not spill the beans <laughs> before it's too, you know, too early. <laughs> I mean, I think that is something that like that the, um, the Charlotte Hale version of Dolores, um, storyline in this episode. Um, makes exciting when thinking about the future of Westworld is that we're going to return to um, a, a, you know, a sort of narrative where we, we can be surprised that someone's a host, you know, cause we're not going to know. Um, right. And I think that that was in some ways that kind of, yes, it was, a, it was, it was maybe relied on a little too heavily in the first couple seasons, but like in the first two seasons, but I think in the third, I did sort of miss the mystery of not knowing who was a host and who wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that they found a smart way to kind of reintroduce that um, in, in in upcoming episodes. Yeah, literally anyone could come back. Literally anyone could be a host. Um, they could get Anthony Hopkins back if they wanted to. You know what I mean? Like it, the sky's the limits now that um, Charlotte has all those printers <laughs> and like no scruples as to what to do with them. So, uh, you know, here we go. Um, so let's see. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, because when an episode starts with a voiceover, you know, you and I just watched Sunset Boulevard for Little Gold Men. But when when an episode starts with a voiceover, like, I've died many times, but there's only one real end. I will write this one myself from Dolores. I There's there's an audience impulse in me where I really want this to be an end for that Dolores. Otherwise, this ending doesn't mean so much to me as an audience member. That might not be true for everyone. Um, and so Dolores Prime, who had her memories wiped, 
I really don't. I would prefer she not come back. And it's not because I don't like the character. Um, it's no, it's because it has to mean something. Yeah. There has to but, be a consequence to her. Yeah. But anyone could show up wearing Evan Rachel Wood's face and that might be a fun acting challenge for Evan Rachel Wood and, and that might be fun. Do you know what I mean? But like this Dolores, it feels like it needs to be over for her. Right. Do you think there's a, oh, I, I think absolutely. And I think the show would be a bit wayward if they didn't honor that, you know? Um, you know, it's their own invention and I, I hope they don't undermine their own work, you know? Something that, um, we did get in this episode is we now know what all the parks are called, um, or what they, what function they serve, right? There were some mysteries left over. Um, Tandy referred to the medieval world that we don't know what it's called yet as Dragon World when I was talking to her. So that's what I'm going to call it until proven otherwise since Tandy Newton said it. I get to say it. Dragon World, uh, it's park four, but we found out what the mysterious park five was. So if you go to the Dallas Destinations website, it has like little, um, images up and descriptions of the various parks and park five has always been this like weird blank white close to visitors mystery. Um, and now, um, now that tile that was just like sort of closed to visitors or whatever, uh, underneath it says defense contracts only or something like that. So like now we know what park five was, which is like, uh, there's war world, but there's also like training worlds, war training world, which is where we see, I, you know, I mentioned this last week, uh, that there was this weird flash in Caleb's memory of him, like shooting someone in, in like what looked like a 4th of July parade, almost this like classic Americana setting. Um, and it turns out that was from the park, park five. Um, and that's where he, you know, he first met actually Dolores, uh, was in that park. So, uh, Richard, what are the creepy implications of there being a park in Westworld where, um, our military or any military maybe, um, can, can train their soldiers? I mean, I guess better to train with hosts than real people. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think our, in our real world, um, with like private military contractors and all that shit, I think we're, we're creepier, uh, than this imagined thing. But it does, I think, I think that, um, it is an interesting expansion of the kind of Delos corporate mission, you know, like, um, it's been clear since at least season one that like the park in its entertainment purpose was really not the point. Um, it was kind of the front facing marketable thing like, oh, this company made robots that we can like kill and have sex with. Um, yay. But actually they are gathering information, but also it, it told him that as a, as a kind of another ancillary like profit arm, they would be, you know, leasing out to the military or whatever. It makes sense. And I think that like the more that the corporate, um, strategy of a company like that, um, makes sense. Like the, the richer the kind of the world of the show becomes. Absolutely. I agree. And, and it satisfies me. Um, I didn't think she had, but it really satisfies me to know that Dolores didn't pick him. Didn't, didn't stumble upon Caleb randomly. Um, you know, that, that was a question I had all season was like, how much of these seeming plot inconsistencies are actual inconsistencies and how much of them are Dolores's master plan and her meeting Caleb at least felt feels comfortably like a master plan um uh, thing though i will say and i had this exchange with a couple people so i feel like i'm not alone in this the idea that like caleb didn't rape her is like that's putting the bar on the ground for like human decency right like 
I knew you were good because you didn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess that like, but at the same time, Dolores' view of things is like, but all they everyone rapes. I mean, that's the whole. That's why everyone goes to the park. So the one person who doesn't, she's like, yeah, okay, you know, um, her. I think it's less the show's moral bar is being being low, uh, and and more hers because she has not been shown much better. Okay, I can that that I can buy. I, uh, you you've satisfied me with that. Um, what like is there a question that was answered for you in this episode that felt the most satisfying? Any questions you had hanging around around the season? Um, I mean, I think that I I guess that like I I I, I you know part of me thinks that the the way that they sort of flushed out. Dolores's motivations was felt like a bit of a kind of cheat in a way like oh no she really was like invested in the beauty of things all along um and yet I also found it kind of satisfying um that she wasn't the kind of um I guess destructive villain she could have been I I guess like this I don't want to compare it to something else I guess but like I'm glad in a way that she wasn't Daenerys, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And, and I, I, I don't know that I love the way that she wasn't that, but I'm glad at least that she wasn't. See, like, I don't mind the way, in which I, there's a lot of I don't mind about the way in which she wasn't. What I do mind is like, or what I don't understand is why she wouldn't tell, just tell Bernard or Maeve throughout the right. season, sort of what her plan was. Like, keeping Caleb in the dark so he could make, like, a humanistic free will choice, I can kind of buy. But not letting Maven Bernard in and letting them think that she is, you know, still on her agenda of season two, which is, you know, kill all men sort of thing. Um, that, to me, seems like, once again, Westworld doing a thing where preserving the surprise felt more interesting to them than, like, you know a plot line that that made full sense if that makes any sense do you know what i mean like yeah mm-hmm. i i i just i like i it was it's it was frustrating for me to watch bernard and mave they they were forced into a position of being a little slower on the uptake than i normally think of them as do you know what i mean because you know, they were making these assumptions about Dolores, but they're so smart. So it's frustrating to watch them be wrong all season just so that we could all be, you know, quote unquote surprised by, you know, a, a turn, a, a turnabout from Dolores. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not clear to me how thought through this season was from the get go. You know, I think there was a lot of like stuff that was obfuscated, um, maybe not out of like a, a deep knowing of what was being obfuscated, but kind of a um, killing, you know, sort of like killing time, but until they figured it out in a way, you know, and I yeah. think that that's something that I was a little frustrated with this finale was that like, there's a lot of kind of there. It's not like a info dump. Exactly. It's a sort of motivation dump. It's like, Oh, okay. This is what everyone's been doing this whole season. Maybe that could have been, built a little bit more seamlessly into the, 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 the spine of the season um, rather than it having, having it be so erratic that like everything we've been watching Maeve and Bernard do all season now is sort of like moot. Um, that's a little frustrating. And I think that like, 
you know, I keep, I kept thinking about what this was like for the actors and if they were happy, which is why I'm excited to listen to your interview with Tandy. Um, you know, cause they all got good moments, but I wonder kind of what the, the sort of holistic view of the season is from their perspective, because from a viewer perspective, um, I think it had a lot of good ideas, but it took them a while to, to arrive at those ideas. We discussed that interview that Ed Harris gave, uh, Vulture, right? About, um, his feelings on this season. Yeah, that he was a bit like, I, it wasn't fun to do it because I didn't know what I was doing. Well, he was like, I, I got hired to play the man in black and I'm not, I'm not, not get hired to play the man in white and I don't really, you know, like this, all this sort of stuff. And I think a lot of people took that as like, Ed Harris doesn't like Westworld anymore, but I kind of took it as like, Ed Harris wants to play, the character he felt like he was playing at the beginning. So I was kind of happy for him at the very end to see, you know, so like William's dead now. I mean, for whatever death is worth in Westworld, um, William the human is dead now. And Ed Harris will get in theory, if season four picks up uh, in the same place, we'll get to play this sort of robotic man in black uh, or, or not, ro- not robotic, but like uh, hardcore villainous, which it seems is what Ed Harris liked to do most on Westworld. And so I was kind of like, Oh, Ed gets to do what he wants. And like, if, if Tandy likes to play Maeve, like activated and, you know, purposeful and all this sort of stuff like that, that's what she gets to do in season. It like, oddly, I got kind of excited for a season four. I don't know if this is like uh deluded of me or whatever, but you know what I mean? Well, I think that like, you know, in a way that, um, that Dolores set off an EMP last week. Um, I think the show kind of did that at the end of this episode. Where they were like, okay, everything about season three that you didn't like is like now kind of gone. We've reset um, in a way. Uh, you know, I think that's part of what like uh, Maeve saying to Caleb about like, you can be whatever you want. Like the show is in, in fact giving itself permission to like shake, shake this season off in a way. Um, but I think an interesting behind the scenes detail is that Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan read that interview with Harris. And then that post credit scene was all filmed on Zoom. Um, which is really impressive that, you know, I think Amy, Mad- <laughs> Amy Madigan was behind the camera with Ed and whatever the stunt double was playing the other Ed. Um, I just think it's amazing what people can do now. Richard, I very rarely fall for your like dry delivery, <laughs> but I genuinely fell for it this time because we live in such uncertain Corona times that like my jaw dropped. And then like two seconds later, my thoughts were like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't Zoom. It was FaceTime. <laughs> I feel so dumb. Uh, okay. Um, I didn't have to admit that I fell for that, but I just thought I'd be uh, honest with you guys uh, over here in podcast land and tell you that Richard got me for half a second. Um, okay. So um, the, so the post-credit sequence, let's talk about that. Um, so William's journey in this episode is he escapes from Bernard after Bernard like bitch slaps him a couple times, which is really enjoyable for me to watch. Um and then we get a shot of him like sort of spattered in blood and he's got this weird blood pattern on his face. And, uh, we don't really know how he got all that blood over him, but like presumably he just like killed his way indoors. Um, and he's talking to his accountant about getting freeing up his money and he's drinking expensive whiskey, right? And then the next time we see him, he's in Dubai in this post credit sequence at like Dulles International and he finds Charlotte in the basement printing hosts and she's print a copy of himself. At, when I first watched that post credits, I thought that that must have been like a little bit of a time jump since like the revolution seemed to have calmed down in Dubai. Um, or maybe there never was a revolution in D- Dubai. I don't know. 
But, um, but he has that same weird blood pattern on his face in that post credits, uh, sequence. So that he did in the whiskey drinking scene. So, uh, not much time would have elapsed at all between, uh, where we saw him in the middle of the episode and where we saw him in the post credits. Uh, so that's interesting, uh, information. Um, does everything that happened in the post credits with William at least feel clear to you? Yeah, except I don't necessarily know what the efficacy of having a host William is, you know? Why does it need to look like him? Um, you know, because he, he, clearly his standing within the kind of people world has been greatly reduced, if not completely eliminated, um, in that he has to break into his own company or his former company, you know? Um, so I'm not really sure what the Charlotte strategy is for having a kind of pretend William, um, more than it is just kind of like cool to see him back in the outfit. Um, but you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, honestly, after talking to, to Tessa Thompson, who said that, um, at the end of season two, you know, at the very end of season two, Bernard wakes up, Bernard slash Arnold wakes up and Dolores is there, but also someone else is there played by Tessa Thompson. We find out later in this season that that is also Dolores, but we didn't know that at the end of season two and more instrumentally, Tessa Thompson didn't know that at the end of season two. So I think there is plenty that they just don't know. And they're very comfortable with that. Um, Like Tessa Thompson was basically asked to play that character at the end of season two as blank as possible so that that, person could be whoever it needed to be in season three. So what is Charlotte's plan with the man in black? I'm not sure they even know yet. The writers, you know what I mean? They just like, are like, won't it be fun to have William back as the man in black? What we do know is that in the post credit, you know, and let's, this will lead us into the second post credit scene, but we do know is that in the post credit scene at the end of season two, according to their plan at the time, that was a massive time jump in the future. And, um, and that, Version. So there's, there's two possibilities for what it can look like for a synthetic creature played by Ed Harris. There's like a host human hybrid sort of thing, which is what like Jeffrey Wright has been playing all season. And then there's like the attempt to put a human consciousness in a host body. And that's what, um, Peter Mullen, Jim Delos was doing last season, right? So those are, it's, it's a slight difference, but those are two different things. Host human hybrid versus host consciousness in a a robot body. So the William, I know this is like a little wheezy, but the William that we met at the end of season two, that was sort of a Jim Delos thing. That was like human consciousness in a robot body, fidelity, all that sort of stuff. The idea was that a lot of time had elapsed as they were trying to get that version of William to be, um, you know, for his human consciousness to not glitch out in the robot body. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think that that thing we saw at the end of season two is different from what it is. Charlotte has built here, which seems like more of a, like what Bernard is, which is she built it from her memory of, you know, she talks about how she built it from like her memory. And so she built it from her memory, Dolores's memory of who the man in black was in the park. So I don't even think it's like got any of that Jimmy Simpson 
you know, if, if, if you, if you take the various Williams as those figures that we met in that group therapy session earlier this season, and there's Jimmy Simpson and there's Tuxedo William and there's Man in Black William and there's Little Boy William and stuff like that. I think this thing that Charlotte has built is just Man in Black William. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's where we are. But in terms of like a lot of time elapsing and connection, connecting to that season two post credits, that's sort of what the Bernard post credits feels like. Do I know why Stubbs, like no one bothered to check on that motel room where Bernard and Stubbs were for seemingly decades? Um, no, I do not. But there was a riot happening elsewhere in California. So maybe like the motel just shut down. And they were left to their own devices in that motel room, right? But presumably Stubbs is like uh, turned to robotic goo, uh, in the, uh, in the bathtub because uh, ice doesn't last, uh, for decades, right? Um, but Bernard is sitting there waiting to be reactivated in a way, which I don't know if that means Jeffrey Wright won't be in season four or if we'll go directly to the time jump in season four or what we'll do, but, um, that's my impression of what happened in the other post credits uh, sequence. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it does. Um, I think that like the how much time has elapsed is an interesting thing to kind of unpack and figure out, um, and you know what exactly he was doing there. So in 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 the other the other place. Um, but you know, again, this also felt like a reset for him. Um, you know, we can get him really back in the game next in the next season. Um, which, you know, who knows when that's going to be at this point. Absolutely. Exactly. Like 2022 at the earliest, right? Um, because yeah. it takes a long time, no matter what, to shoot a season of Westworld. And um, everything is delayed right now. So who knows uh, what that's going to happen. Um, is there anything else you want to get into in this episode? Uh, hmm. uh, uh, uh. I mean, you know, um, goodbye, Vincent Cassell. Maybe. Uh, we didn't see him die, so... That's true. I mean, I thought he was, you know, he was an effective... Um, I think he sold a, a kind of confusing character, in a way. I think he sold it well. Um, and, you know, I kind of did like that, like, in the end, even he was... He wasn't, like... He was ultimately trying to do the right thing. You know, it was a very bad way to do the right thing. Um, but like, I like that he wasn't like a, you know, wahaha, like, you know, evil kind of doer who was hell bent on enslaving humanity. I think, you know, um, there was pathos there and I think the Castell did a good job. I, I would assume he's done, but maybe not. He, he might be. Um, I love like Vincent Cassell was, I think the high point for me this season. Um, I don't think the season works at all for me if he's not there. Um, and I loved, uh, you know, uh, Tandy talked about how like working with Vincent Cassell was like a lifelong dream of hers. And I like, don't blame her because <laughs> like what a, what a fun scene partner to have. And if you haven't watched the behind the scenes interview that they did for this finale, Please do, you know, you can find it on wherever you get your HBO. Um, because Vincent Cassell at one point, he's talking about Rehoboam and, and Ciroc and their sort of symbiotic relationship. And he talks about it as if it were like, um, Dr. Frankenstein and the monster, except he pronounced Frankenstein like Frankenstein, like, like 
both the uh, Mel Brooks movie, but just like really the real German pronunciation. He like went real German on it. It wasn't even French. It was fantastic. So please enjoy that as like a little um, after dinner mint of this Westworld finale as Vincent Cassell pronouncing Frankenstein that way. Um, yeah, I, I loved him in the season and I hope they bring him back. Um, even if just like, you know, for a Peter Mullen-esque cameo, um, like we got this season, um, I would love to have him, uh, cause you know, all right. Um, I think, you know, I think we did it. Um, I, I, Westworld really, I got, I have to hand it to them for all my frustrations this season that they got me excited for a season four. But yeah, this does feel like this season, I think if we, when we look back at the arc of Westworld, um, whether or not it gets four seasons, five seasons, six seasons, I think this will feel like a place setting season when we think back on it. You know, like this season really set up the transition to the real world and whatever it is that our characters are going to do next. And season four might be like a, like a slam dunk, great, all time great season. Now that a lot of our characters are sort of back in an active position. Um, it's just a shame that they were, a lot of them were in passive positions this season, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. I, I didn't expect to feel excited for season four (laughs) and yet um here we are yeah um all right well um i guess i like i don't want to wrap up without mentioning this last two things because i feel like i'm gonna get emails about it if we don't obviously the ending feels like an homage to fight club um not just like mave and caleb standing watching skyscrapers blow up um but also um the like earlier in the episode when uh, people call Dolores sir and Caleb sir. That felt very Fight Club to me as well. Um, so, you know, they stopped short of using the Pixies over the closing. They used, um, Pink Floyd instead. But, um, that, that Pixie song that famous, famously plays at the end of Fight Club, um, was used both in the leftovers when, uh, Carrie Coon and Justin Thoreau's characters were like watching nukes go off, uh, in Australia and, um, and in the episode of Mr. An episode of Mr. Robot, and Mr. Robot obviously takes a lot from Fight Club. So I feel like, I feel like that Pixie song is like banned from prestige television for a while. Otherwise, I feel like R- Ramin Javadi would have done a beautiful like piano cover of uh, "Where Is My Mind" uh, from the end of Fight Club right there. Um, how how useful, Richard, is it for like there to be such a direct film homage? Uh, outside of an episode called genre. I mean, you know, I thought it was cute. Uh, uh, and I, I think that the show has always had at its best, like a kind of winking sense of humor that was maybe a little bit lost this season, minus some May stuff. Um, so it was nice to like, end um, on a note of like, yeah, a, a sense of grandeur, but also like, you know, we can be kind of sly and reference too. Perfect. Um, and then the last thing I want to point out is like, you and I had talked about the poster when you were talking about Dolores maybe dying at the end of the season. And, and I mentioned that like that robotic body had some scraps of blue fabric on it. So it was definitely Dolores. But if you, but if uh, folks want to pull up the season three poster as they're listening to this and look at it again, uh, you'll notice that the skyline in the background is, is definitely Dubai. 
uh, cause you can see the Burj Khalifa sort of like at the center of it. Um, and then there's just like sand everywhere, <laughs> which could either be Dubai or it could be like, you could think of it as like the dust on Bernard. Um, and then the tagline of the season is free will is not free. And so the, uh, you know, there's so much of the closing minutes of this episode just on that poster. Uh, and that's a kind of like really sly, winky, fun shit that Westworld likes to do. So, um, you know, they had their fun with us, uh, with that poster. So, all right, let us go to our conversation with Tandy Newton to talk about Maeve and some of the themes she loves about Westworld. So let's hear from the great Tandy Newton. I was reading another interview you gave at the beginning of the season where you're talking about um, Maeve uh, has no purpose in a way because she accomplished what she wanted yeah. at the end of season two. And so this season is sort yeah. of about finding, uh, give, finding a reason for Maeve to sort of give a shit about what's going on in the real world. And, and so for you yes. as a former to start, to start a season of television somewhat purposeless, purposeless like you know when so much of acting is about like what's my motivation what's my motivation um what challenges does that present for you as a performer the what was happening in the first yeah the first season is that Maeve keeps turning herself on um in different situations and then turning herself off I mean literally she was able to do that and then in season three uh she is being switched on when she doesn't want to be right you know um so it's that, um, I, th- it has been, goodness. I mean, I loved her agency in season one. I loved her, how uncompromising she was. Um, she didn't even put herself in a place where she could be compromised. Um, and it's been, I don't know, there's, it's been strangely frustrating, uh, certainly for the character. Well, I guess for me too, in a way, but, but, it, but, but all with a purpose, because at the point, at the point when Maeve does, is presented with a choice, she mm-hmm. has to make it. And that, that obviously that doesn't happen till the end of season three. I mean, I don't, I certainly don't think that she thinks she's ever going to have to. It's she, her arm is being twisted by Serac. And she, and she is miss, in, in a way, sort of Maeve is like, she, she misleads us all. Uh, accidentally in the way that she assumes that Dolores has a vendetta against humanity and is going to see that through. And, um, so she's, and Serac helps her, helps, helps Maeve to, uh, to, to, to helps confirm that. Um, because he also thinks that Dolores is, um, out to attack right. humanity. Um, so the frustration that I mentioned about Maeve just, oh, you know, here I am again, this guy trying to get me to do this thing. You know, it makes sense because she only wants to save humanity insofar as it's not going to get rid of the virtual world where her loved ones are. Um, so in a way, Maeve's agency starts again in episode eight of season right. three. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, and I've, so I've spent basically pretty much two and three floundering. 
you know, learning learning some katana skills and having <laughs> an extraordinary experience and also, you know, creating a path for the audience to better understand what, you know, what the hosts have uh, have been dealing with. You know, she's obviously been aware of the, the enormity of, you know, this whole Westworld um, franchise, you know, War World, Shogun World, now there's Dragon World, you know, um, and uh, but her agency begins again at the end of season three. So I'm, you know, it, obviously I like her being. Um, I, I, I mean, I really I want her to help. I want her to help the world. I want her to be the. Um, I want her to be part of the solution and not the problem. Of course, she's not a baddie. <laughs> um, and I, I really love that about her. It had a huge influence on, certainly on my life. Um, and yeah, but that's just a personal preference. Whatever, whatever, wherever they take this, I really trust these guys. I think they're master storytellers and, um, I love being around them. I love, I love the, I really love the work environment they, they create. It's bloody hard work, um, and can be frustrating. Um, but, it, it, it's you know everybody everybody is is putting more than they think they could ever manage into this show it really calls on people to be innovative and um and to do better than their best um and that's a great that's a great environment yeah you know? um but i have absolutely no idea what the hell could happen now i mean really i'm absolutely baffled baffled i didn't think i mean i'm with with season 2 i had no idea 3 same thing like what so it's really and and i'm not a sci-fi pe- person you know i i very much bound to the earth <laughs> um so yeah baffled baffled but thankfully there's a little time before we all have to do that again Right. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, you have so many, obviously, incredible fight scenes this season, and I do want to talk to you about them, but my favorite, um, my two favorite scenes uh, of yours are the two long conversations you share with Dolores, with Evan Rachel Wood. And um, oh, yeah. do you think that there is a significance to the fact that, like, you know, it's frustrating for us to watch Dolores and Maeve at cross purposes all season. Uh, because we were like, I think you would agree if you just talked to each other. But do you think there's a significance to uh, to the fact that they are able to sort of connect and talk and understand each other in virtual spaces? That's where they're able to talk to each other, communicate. And then whenever they meet in the real world, it's a, it's a fight. And so I was wondering if there was some sort of significance to the fact that, like, they can communicate when they are in a virtual space, but cannot do it very effectively in the real world. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I'm over overcooking. Yeah. No, no, I don't think you're overcooking. Although I think, interestingly, one of those conversations that you mentioned had Dolores destroy Hector right. during the conversation. So that's, to me, that's a, that's a that was the most brutal fight scene in many ways, mm-hmm. except Maeve wasn't even fighting. Right. You know, um, it, it, it's all, yeah, it, it's always, it's always... You know, in that scene, it was, it's a conversation, but then it ends up being something that provokes Maeve. It's almost like Dolores is provoking Maeve. I feel like Dolores is much more, um, binary 
like there's good and bad with her, you know. And I feel like Maeve, Maeve sees the shades in everybody. And, and, and I've, I always felt that Dolores was kind of in terms of recognizing the subtleties and the shades of how human beings are. And I think that was largely to do with her relationship with Lutz and Sylvester. You know, she really came to sort of learn about people through her interaction with those two. Um, I feel that Maeve was already at the point where she, well, certainly was where humanity was, was neither good nor bad, you know, and, but Dolores changed her mind. That's something really, really important. All of season two, she wanted to destroy humanity. It was very clear. And then she changed her mind. So, um, it took a minute for, for Maeve to, uh, to catch up because in that first conversation that she has with, with Dolores, it's, it's the original Dolores that they've kind of remade in this virtual world, in the Serac world, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's not the Dolores that's out in the human world fighting. Right. That, that she's like weeks older. Cause you can see what's so interesting is how different the different Doloreses are based on the time they spend as the new character. Like, you know, Hale, within days, she was attached to her human family. Right. You know, and uh, so the original Dolores is, you know, and it's great. I love all the stuff with um, uh, with Hale, who was Dolores to begin with, and then has broken away, has just grown. It's like they grow out of her really quick. Right. So... yeah, she's kind of like the the mother with these errant children everywhere. She's just spawning the, these, this population. And she even says to Maeve at the end, you are all copies of me. I mean, um, no wonder Maeve's just like, give me a sherry and get me the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> this is like, you're just making up shit as you go along. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Maeve is done. I mean... Yeah. I want, yeah. I think, yeah. I think, I think season four might be like, it's like the season where the whole show has to convince Maeve that it's worth, you know, sticking around for. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like that would be a good guide for the next season. So you, you mentioned the Hale plotline and also this idea of motherhood and parenthood, which seems so baked into the show at this point. It is, isn't it? Yeah. And I was wondering, you know, how much do you think that has to do with the fact that, you know, this is a big budget prestige sci-fi HBO series, you know, kosher run by a woman, Lisa Joy. Um, and then, you know, this season, I feel like um, Denise Tay has sort of stepped up to have even more involvement. I've heard her talk a lot about the themes of motherhood and how they interest her. So I don't know, like it's, it's often viewed as a feminine concern. And I think it's interesting um, to have those themes, um, given the same amount of weight as some of the other things that we've explored in sci-fi in the past, do you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know though. You know, I feel like I don't, I think it's, it's maybe a little short sighted to just see it as a, as a, um, as a preoccupation of the female characters. Cause you've got Ed Harris, who is 
utterly driven mad yes. by the betrayal of, of his daughter. Right. I mean, utterly. Mm-hmm. And you've got Jeffrey Wright's character who is undone whenever he has to consider the the child that he lost. And then you've also got um, uh, Caleb, the stuff with his mum and the, you know, the, the fact that she just couldn't handle life and fell apart and his love for his friend, which is, you know, very a deep bond. I think all the characters, all of them, mm-hmm. the, the significant characters are preoccupied with their roles as either nurturers or how they failed at that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just a preoccupation of the women. I really don't. I think it's about res- responsibility. I think it's about responsibility. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I think it's something that, that is, is it's it's making us think about how our actions have affected others and you know in in the kind of the, the torture of time um uh different time what's it called different timelines you know people are are really driven mad by the things that they've either done or haven't done and it's that's a there's a purpose to that because i think it's trying to show us the cyclical nature of our of our um, negative behaviour if we don't deal with trauma, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, or if we go to sleep on the job, which is basically what we're doing, you know. And 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 just not having a conscience, not not taking responsibility, not recognising our agency and the possibilities for freedom and what we could be doing with that. It's like we've all gone to sleep and it's just waking us up, waking us up, um, you know, forcing us to consider these different interactions with people that we've had in our lives um, and, 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 and how they become drives. Definitely. Um, fascinating. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, there's Dolores who is, who, who is childless in the show, a woman who is childless, but the relationships that she has with herself, basically, right. where that fast, that is fascinating to me just on its own. Yeah. It's like, she's, 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 she's having to, um, she's having to, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think, help me out. I'm trying to think of the word. It's like she's having to reconcile mm. aspects of herself. Yeah. Th- through, through copies of herself, you know, and I, I just, that's so much of, of, I guess what we do as, as an adult, you know, you look back at different stages of your life and, you know, you kind of try and reason with different aspects of yourself, certainly in a therapy situation, let's face it, you know, those who've been, had the benefit of therapy, very often you are talking to your child or talk, you know, your inner child and all of this. So I think, yeah, that, that whole kind of de, decoding consciousness and, um, and, and just recognizing how, how much what we do is influenced by those outside of us. And, you know, um, obviously the whole notion of free will isn't free. Um, but yeah, to do, I think specifically around relationships, the, 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 like you were saying about big little lies. Yeah. The themes are very much, um, around responsibility and, um, and, and, and caretaking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's very it's. There's always so much to talk about with Westworld. Did you find out along with everyone else that Westworld had been picked up? The I mean, same time? It, 
like a week before. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a, a wrinkle I hadn't thought about. Um, the uh, there is this question. Something I love about Westworld is because you know because bodies can be printed and brains can be swapped and all this sort of stuff happens. You have mm-hmm. an opportunity to see a favorite character that you thought might be gone, um, like Simon Quarterman coming back this season when you think he might be gone, something like that. But how does knowing that death is not the perm, always the permanent thing on Westworld that it can be on other shows. How do you as a performer decide when a death feels final and, and when it doesn't like the Hector death and Maeve's reaction to it felt so final for her this season, even though we've seen Hector die so many times. So can you talk about, you know, death in Westworld and how, how you reconcile uh, those realities? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, death, death, in the show, one thing that you realize is that with the, with the robots in Westworld, they never knew they were dying again and again. Right. Um, because they would be just wiped and then they go back into the park and do the same thing all over again, getting killed in a different way or whatever. Um, obviously for Maeve, she becomes conscious of the fact that she's dying often. Right. So, um, I think that, that she sees that there's a utility in, in death for her, obviously. Um, but I, I just, pl- you got to play it for real each time. I mean, I think also Maeve is very sympathetic. She's compassionate. Um, so when she sees hosts die, she feels for them every time. Um, so, it's not that it makes it, it. It doesn't make her less. Um, it, it doesn't make death less meaningful. Um, so, for example, yeah, when Hector dies, I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean, if, if Simon coming back was really huge, and it was a really good um, Simon Quarterman who plays um, uh, Lee Sizemore, that was a really good sort of twist because we thought he was a dead human and then we assume he is a live human. And then when you find out that actually he's a simulation, it's just really cool. It really works well. So it's using that kind of, yes, characters do come back, but they've always been coming back in a really interesting way. It's not like, oh God, Westworld. It's not, it's not lazy. It's not like, oh, no, no. Westworld, can just, yeah. West, Westworld can just bring people back. So they just do it willy nilly. It's not like, do you remember, um, I'll never forget this, uh, Dallas, when Bobby Ewing came back. And yes. It, it, like, the, the, like, I don't know how many seasons they decided to make a dream um, just to get Bobby back. I don't feel like that's ever going to be anything that Westworld will do, with all due respects to bloody Dallas Mine, because that was gold for me. <laughs> um, but and it, no, matter how, no matter how popular a character is, and I think this is something that other shows have done well, I mean, there is a real value to being the kind of show that is confident enough to you know, to say goodbye to a character and never to see them again, no matter how much your audience kicks and screams and wants to see them, you know. Um, but I, I, I can't imagine how Maeve could ever die. I just, I don't, I just don't, I can't see it happening. Like, like how on earth could you ever believe it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that's like some fantastic insurance that I'll always be part of the show. I really... <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know because they have the ability to surprise these guys. They really do. So is it? I mean, I you know, I don't expect you to give any major secrets away. It's not uh, definitely why I'm talking to you, but I am curious. Then does that ending for Dolores feel so final? It was a huge. It's a huge sacrifice. She gets wiped. It feels done. Do you feel like? this is the end for for this version of, of Dolores? It certainly seems to be. I haven't had that confirmed, but just me as an audience um, and the way it felt at the time and Serac, who, you know, is the capability of, of his setup is very strong. So if he wipes her memories and he has no interest in, in any of the, the host's and Delos, you know, he, he just wants the intellectual property that came from, um, the information that, that came from the, the, the guests that were at the park. Um, so all those numbers add up to Dolores as we know her being gone. But of course she has populated the, the world with versions of herself. So you know, maybe there's a version that's in a little cupboard somewhere that's, still the old Dolores. Um, but it, it, I, I don't know where that could possibly come from. Um, and whatever happens, it's going to be done in a way which is really surprising and really cool. I mean, you know, it's like, I do understand why people want to know stuff, but I feel like it gets to a point where you just throw your arms up and just accept entertainment. It's like, okay, <laughs> this isn't a math uh-huh. problem. This isn't for me to solve. This is for me to just sit back and be taken on a journey. You know, it's like trying to stop a roller coaster. It's like trying to put brakes on a roller coaster. It's like, are you going to put all your effort into trying to put brakes on this roller coaster? Or, you know, it's like with anything, it's less painful if you just surrender, you know. <laughs> um, so t- t- That's how I feel about it. Maybe it's just laziness. <laughs> also, I just, I really admire, I like, I like people showing me how dope they can be. You know, I love Westworld, you know, all the showrunners just, I just get to sit back and freaking, well, actually that's not true. I'm in it, but you know what I mean? Um, certainly the scenes that I'm not in, I, 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 I even feel like I don't know what's happening because it's just such a spectacle and it's so beautifully made. And I wasn't there to see it that for a minute there, I, I forget that I've even read the scripts, you know, I don't want to know. I don't want, I don't want the mystery and the, and the, the surprises to be taken away. God, no. Uh, but, you know, like my husband and my daughter both read the last page of a novel before they start. So it's just a personality <laughs> thing. All right, so that's a wrap on Still Watching Westworld. We are full-time Still Watching Mrs. America now. Come join us. Talk about uh, the ERA and other protests. Uh, if you're in the mood for shows about protests, uh, that is a show you might enjoy. Richard, until then which is wednesday <laughs> when still watching this american what comes out where can folks find you i think i've almost finished my bin bonds making machine kind of like how charlotte has a basement full of you know things creating um hosts i i just i've you know it's more of a single service kind of machine um and i think we're almost there i've i've had a lot of kind of failed um attempts which has actually been kind of horrifying but um so i'm excited for that uh in the mean and i'm doing it from home all safely. Um, and I'm tweeting at Rylos and writing at VF.com. Uh, Joanna, where will you be until we meet to talk about Mrs. America? <laughs> 
Um, I'll be at the incinerator destroying your failed versions of bid bonds. They're really scary. I mean, they're really terrifying. They're horrible. <laughs> so creepy. They gotta go. Uh, so I'll be cleaning that up, that mess up for you. Uh, you can find me on vf.com. You can find us talking about the film Amadeus over on Little Gold Men this week. And we'll be back on Wednesday, uh, to talk Mrs. America with Elizabeth Banks. Violent delights and violent ends.